listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of splatterpictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Nipe here with Always. Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 2007 Stephen King-inspired classic, The Mist. There's not a good sound for Mist. No, and I'm glad that you leave lots of head in between and after your sound effects. So we decide <laughs> to actually put one in, because... We could find, like, mist. We could go on to, like, uh, what is that, freesound.org and try and find, like, mist sound. I just want but, the I just want the old man saying, stay out of the mist, over and over again. Yes, that would be. Or there's something, there's something in, the in the mist. There's something in the mist. Yeah. My brain has uh, recompiled a lot of things from the first time I've watched it till this time. I see, like I was like, I'm just going to change the lines a little bit so I like them, which I do sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, no, I always think about uh, Mrs. Carmody and some of the things she says, how it's not uh, Oz is over the rainbow and Midian is where the monsters live. Like, that's not what she says. Oh, yeah, no. Even though that's how I remember it. <laughs> um. Yes. And, by the way, in case, dear listeners, you're keeping score, this is a Stephen King movie, which means that we are full frontal into our Stephen King Apalooza 2019. Which is wonderful. I, I, I wait every year for this, and I had mm. actually plugged our show on my other show because Stephen King Apalooza, because on typical books, I talk about horror books, and this is a king of horror books, and blah, 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 blah. bingo, bango, that airs your uncle. <laughs> this film is. A Stephen King movie that I think, in a weird way, particularly with younger people, has permeated into the subculture in a way that a lot of other Stephen King-inspired films haven't, with obviously exceptions now, as we're getting new Stephen King adaptations of things like It and Pet Cemetery. Obviously, things are coming out. I mean, the references to Pennywise that I see on the internet these days is insane to me, obviously. Mm -hmm. But... This film, and the reason why I say this is because beyond memes, beyond beyond the things that you can find on YouTube, beyond anything, the, the casual comments that I see anytime that it's fucking foggy out, there are two things that people say. Number one is Silent Hill. Number one is Silent Hill, or the other is The Mist. There's something in The Mist. There's something in The Mist, and sometimes they'll they'll do that, that photo that's... Um, you know, this way to like the mist, this way to Silent Hill, or I guess that's Raccoon City. But the point is, is like that anybody always like mentions this film in a way that like normies, basic people. So that's yeah. what I mean, and and I really think that um, in a way that I haven't seen other Stephen King films. Like people don't fucking make references to Dreamcatcher, no, or the Langoliers. No, but, I mean, not, not a lot of people even realize this is a Stephen King joint yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, th- you know, you you might be right about that. Although, even though it, like it is the trifecta, this is the Frank Darabont trifecta of Stephen King films, and the other two, there's no question they're fucking Stephen King films because it you you preempt those titles like Shawshank Redemption. Stephen King's Shawshank Redemption is probably how most people think of it, even though it's so totally not Stephen King's The Shining anymore. But like this particular film is very, very close to the source material, save the ending. The ending's very different. Mm -hmm. And the ending is what is the huge gut punch here that the filmmakers chose to go with. I never never looked to see what Stephen King's take is on this adaptation. He was quoted as saying that he believes now i don't know this might be just something that you say when asked at a junket or something he believes that it was a superior ending to what he originally had i agree i agree and i can see where you get to the end of this writing it and you'd be pretty emotionally wrung out by the end and be like i don't know what to do especially being at the at the time like a a father and and stuff right so Mm. um it was probably kind of hard for him to write. It's a lot easier for me to imagine something like this. Right. Screw kids, right? Like, whatever. <laughs> Screw the rest of people. I'm fine with this ending. Um, it would probably be easier for someone who's removed from the situation and not pla- basing it on people they know in places they know to write. Mm. Yeah. For me, this film was um an endurance test about everything that stresses me out everything that really irks on my nerves mm-hmm. um uh, like obviously prominent religious zealots really bother me i've i've never i've never liked organized religion i'm sorry to anyone that is offended by that but it's just the, the way i feel and um oh they're, they're supposed to turn the other cheek you can say whatever you want about those fucking <laughs> cross crazy motherfuckers <laughs> I uh, Stephen King writes characters like this incredibly well, uh, therefore they're adapted incredibly well to uh, screen. I mean, you know, the like Carrie's mom is a, a masterclass in yeah, and Hermes's um, art like hand in hand. They're probably yeah. pals. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah, for sure. The the only two in the parish that uh, believe uh, that uh, like get each other. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But um and and mob mentality stresses me out and the the super downer ending. Which when I first watched this, uh, I did not like. Did you cry? No. It brought tears to my eyes the first time I watched it. It it didn't it didn't make me cry. A, A lot of things do. Ladies but it was just gents. too bleak. It was so bleak. It was so just miserable. It was especially when you're looking at the first interpretation I got of this film was it was super religious because aren't we basically saying that you just got to have faith because Carol from The Walking Dead survives that mist and non-violence and sacrifice to these things will save you i don't think so with my my interpretation of carol really is that you have to not listen to other people don't bother discussing what you're going to do with other people and just go fucking do it do it when it moves you to do it don't procrastinate don't second guess run yeah i mean henry rollins might agree with me on that one yeah and 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 you could totally make the argument and i would agree with you about this film speaking to individuality as opposed to mob mentality because they are really um 
they are really critical of humans as a whole, but humans on individual levels. Uh, it's funny, I actually do talk about this in some recent chapters of Teresa that, that were released about this idea of, of um, individual humans you can reason with, but humans as a whole you can't. And there are dangerous humans amongst the crowd that will rabble rouse the rest. And, you know, maybe I was like reaching back and like remembering films like this because no matter what side of the argument you're on, people are still adhering to groups. And even though people are either going with religion, they're not necessarily saved, uh, but also people who are going against it aren't necessarily saved either. Some of them are, one of them is at least, but mm-hmm. um, what are they left with? But I, there's so you can really argue in circles around this thing, which I think is probably one of the things that they would want you to do. Because and it's what keeps it in people's minds, right? Exactly. But I, I can't help about bristling at the religious iconography of things because that's just what I do. I see things that I think are preaching to me, and my fuck. If I was a lizard, my fucking skin flaps come up, and I'm like. Like it's just I, so easy for me to turn my back on those sorts of people all my life, I so it doesn't so bother me too raised, bad. But it is so steeped in it. Definitely angry making. Like I don't disagree with you there. Totally. Yeah. Um, I found the end to me. I, although it did, yes, bring a tear to my eye. I thought that's really how it would go down. That's so on point. And and so I wouldn't watch this movie for the longest time because it just made me feel bad and. Even though sometimes I do want to watch horror that makes me feel bad because it's cathartic to feel bad and, and it's good to look at things and experience things that, you know, they say the worst part of the thing you can do to a painful memory is try to suppress it because they come back stronger and when you don't want to think about it and it hits you in the face. It's, and so when you watch a scary movie, you watch something that scares you or upsets you. The best remedy is to just Watch it over and over again because it will lose its effect and you will be able to process these emotions less raw and more rationally. Um, I can't remember the moment that it happened, but I think I was hearing someone else talk about the ending or whatever. Or you know what? I came across the entire last sequence on YouTube and I watched watched it again because there's some gorgeous imagery in it. Oh my, And, and, And the second time I really watched it, I was like, you know what? I fucking love this ending. So I really changed my own mind or maybe I heard something. I don't know. But like the point is, is I flipped. Into, yeah, you had time to process it perhaps. Yeah. Or something else spoke to it in your experience since yeah. watching it. Yeah. Yeah. Something, something. But, and so this really became something of, uh, of a film that like, where I would flip the script a little bit instead of saying, Oh yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know about the mist, man. To, Oh, I fucking love that movie. Even though I didn't rewatch it until today. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's funny how that works. And I've never heard anyone say that they don't like this movie. Like, it's fucking weird that people are just like, oh, yeah, that movie's great. Oh, man, I love The Mist. So it's really funny that with this movie, what do you think it was that really spoke to people? Is it the creatures or is it the, the complex message of the film? Like, what do you think it is about this Stephen King movie for that generation, like the aughts, you know what I mean? I think more so than the creatures, because I think that's a very small subset of fans of this film, because I can't say horror fans, because the, the fans of this film are greater than, than the horror 
kids, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably, by and large, a lot more of the horror kids that like the monsters uh, and spiders. I totally forgot about the pharmacy scene. What the fuck? Anyway. Yeah, that's a great scene. That's a fucking great scene. And I remember some of the lines from it, but I don't remember it. Like, I don't remember it being crazy. so long. I remember, I thought they kind of showed up. Some, Army guy says, it's all our fault. See ya. And yeah, they check out. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know what I remember, but I don't remember it being like exploding of spiders and that type of shit. I think there was never anything quite like it on screen where you get to see people having a, a full brawl against one another and people, you know, segregating almost like they would do on that show Survivor and mm. there's alliances or whatever, which is so contrived on that show. But to see it played out like yeah. this, it's so tense. Like there's not a lot of, uh, there was other films I was thinking of that are more like war films where things are this tense. Mm-hmm. Um, the supermarket brawl though, to see what, what you envision Black Friday at its worst is like, played out like this but with real stakes not the new elmo doll but yeah. like real stakes here and i think that that is what is the most terrifying yeah i think you might have hit the fucking nail on the head with that one yet again because you you're right like not only was that coming out it not at the peak of of reality tv and shit like that but in the early aughts like that stuff was super big and really present in people's minds the grocery store in and of itself is where we see the fucking breakdown of society because and this is coming from someone who's been a, a, a lifer in a grocery store for over a decade you know you you see the breakdown and like the second a line breaks down it's almost like society has crumbled and just trying to watch people navigate a shopping cart around one another and you see the frustration you see there's six more people in line than someone wants and they're rolling their eyes and they're fucking frustrated someone in the eight or less line has nine items and the person behind them has to say something you know, like it's it's that type of shit where I totally get it. Like just being in a grocery store fucking pisses people off. Oh yeah, totally. I'm right there with you. I was in your store this morning. I know all about pissed off. <laughs> I saw a guy and he tried to make small talk with me, pick up a yellow pepper from the floor that had fallen, and he went, Oh, that's too bad. It makes me feel bad when there's stuff on the floor. And he put it back. Yeah. And he's like, is that one you're going to buy? And I'm like, no, I don't want one that was on the floor. It's a floor pepper. Yeah, and I was thinking, like, I'm tempted to grab it and put it back on the floor, which is what I kind of should have done, but it's already, t- they're all contaminated. Everything there is contaminated. Sorry about your luck, sir. But, yeah, no, I, I see it, and I wouldn't want to spend too much time there. And I think that this movie spoke to something in people where you're, uh, for the first time since 1950, allowed to not fucking like people anymore. I'm that person in the grocery store that when there's a baby crying, I will put my hands over my ears. I don't have to worry about what my mom, she's not going to tut-tut me for being antisocial. I'll be fucking antisocial. It's fine. It's just as fine as having a screaming brat pawing with fucking produce in a store, right? Like, it's that cusp where you're allowed to be antisocial. You're allowed to prefer ordering your food from Amazon. And that was just beginning when this movie came out. So mm. I think that admitting that there's something definitely wrong with mm-hmm. communities. I grew up in a small town, too. When I look at this movie, I see a representative of pretty much every single type of person I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And I'm uh, Stephen King did. He continues to live in a small community. And these are definitely based on people we've all seen around. Whether you come from a small town or not, you can you definitely imagine all of these people and as they exist 
but coming from a small town makes it even more painful, I think, to see them all thrust together in this small store. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. And then monsters. Purple monsters. Purple-ish. I mean, we don't know what color the big one is. I would assume it's purple. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go out on a limb here and say it's probably like a very pale purple violet or I haven't had many conversations with people about this movie, but the one phrase that I see used most often to describe this film is bad CG. Uh I disagree. I think I don't think the CG is that bad. I think there's there's moments where it's not that great, but also Yeah. No, there's some portions, like the melting tentacle, perhaps, is, is could be better. But we're dealing with what they were dealing with at the time. If they would have waited five years, it probably would have been a, a visual spectacular. And yeah. maybe maybe what we're watching is being cleaned up a little. I don't know. We, we watched it on Shudder. So thank you, Shudder, for hosting some really great movies. I'd seen a, a, an acquaintance of mine bitching about how horrible Shudder is the other day. And I'm like, what? Total disconnect. I like a yeah. lot of Shutter stuff. Yeah, Shutter is uh, yeah, Shutter's a good mixed bag. I don't think it's the greatest thing in the world, but I also think that it's a pretty good. If you like horror, y- you'll be happy with Shutter. I feel like as far as I can find for streaming or rentals, uh, Shutter is the only place you can see Mist, the Mist in Canada. Yeah, yeah. So I'll give it that. Yeah, Have you sure. watched any of this new miniseries? The Miss Newt, no, I haven't. No, me neither. Uh, I can't see how it would be stretched into a miniseries. I can't envision it, but... Yeah, because it was based off of a novella in the first place, right? So they were already pulling the taffy as much as they could on this idea about people locked in a grocery store. And I don't know what sequences are part of the novella and what are fabrication aside from the ending of the film, but um, I could I could guess what exists to... Well, it's still very out. Stephen Kingish, and you know, if you if you know, it's not you know, it's not padded too much because when you take a short story, if you're gonna really do it shot by shot, mm-hmm. you could get a movie. To take a book and cram it into a movie, now that's tough. Yeah, that's true. I was just thinking about a scene that seemed, if I were to guess. Not whole. I wouldn't say it was wholly unnecessary, but what seemed like padding to me is the pharmacy sequence. That seems like padding to me. Hmm. I don't know if it exists in the novella. I could be dead wrong. And there's way more, actually, I think, in the novella. They actually cut some stuff out as far as interactions between people. So Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty girthy novella at that. It's yeah. around 2000, or 200 uh, pages. Yeah, so, so they got a lot of it. It's long. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they had lots to work with. And it's it came across as... Probably up until the Flanagan work, the best Stephen King adaptation, mm. really for mm. the film. Like it really got the feeling of a Stephen King story, and the way that he writes, like you said, religious zeal. It's like no one else. The way he does this whole man versus man thing, and you know, different levels: the haves versus the have-nots. Oh yeah, uh, even racial racial tensions that yeah. he does write and with a particular flair. Um, country versus city. Yeah, that was that's. I was gonna mention that. I was like, oh yeah, he he's always got like, ah, oh, here's fucking Tommy Big City over here, big time lawyer, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know, tried to sue sue the county or whatever, and. 
that totally tracks for something that Stephen King would do. And also that sh- uh, that small town shorthand, right? Every everyone's like Bill and Joe and you, you know, you have like the, the the old man coming out of the mist for the first time and he's like telling you a, a first and last name of a person who died. I'm just like, I don't know who that is. Yeah, everybody else does though. Yeah. Garen fucking teed. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, I bought my Ford off him. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. No, that's a very Stephen King thing. And just the eastern seaboard small town. And I think it, it struck me how no one ever says eastern seaboard unless everyone, the, sh- the shit has hit the fan. We never refer to it as the eastern seaboard unless the whole power grid is out or something like that. Or mm-hmm. there's a military fucking problem that mm-hmm. could encompass the entire eastern seaboard. Have you ever said eastern seaboard in fucking conversation? No, but I've also never said, like, the Pacific Northwest, so. (laughs) (laughs) True, true. But yeah, no, this this film does speak to a larger thing than just the horror genre. But it is definitely a horror film, and that's why we're using it to kick off our Stephen King of Palooza. Definitely. Um, I had just picked up some old Stephen King paperbacks. I got uh, Night Shift and Skeleton Crew, so that... I can read some of these older Stephen King shorts, and I'd flip through the mist, so I have an idea of uh, a refresher of what is and isn't there. Because I'd read the mist story twice before seeing this film when it first—I think I watched it about 2011, so not when it first first came out, but mm-hmm. shortly thereafter. And I only saw it once then too. I don't believe I watched it since. I think that was the only time I watched it. But um, yeah, you you can see those on my other show on Typical Books. Which I've just reached 200 subscribers. Wow. It doesn't seem like a lot, like 200, but it's awesome because I've never really pushed for subscribers and there's some pretty, very cool subscribers that I have that I communicate with. Absolutely. And that have shows of their own. So I think it's fucking fantastic. In the most recent show where I talked about a Priya Sharma book, she sent me a note thanking me for reviewing it. So it's like... Same day I get 200 subscribers, I get a thank you from my authors. That's yeah, cool. People are watching. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame them. It's a cool show. Well, thank you. Or people who are even even to book dummies like me. Book dummies. <laughs> I call you out on the show, too. I'm like, well, I, well, I can pick on my friend Wes because he listens to audio books. I know, I know. I, I, was, I was, first of all, I'm my own biggest fan. So, like, anyone mentions my name, I'm like, oh, my God, I've put a dent in the universe. I'm like Steve Jobs. But uh, also, I did know that you were making fun of me. I was like, damn it, Lids. Ah, friendly, <laughs> friendly kidding. It is I'm true. I'm waiting for a print copy someday of Teresa, and then I'll review that on the show. So there you go. You'll have, your, you'll have a whole day where I talk about how great you are. <laughs> Unlike every other day. No, it's a shame because like my first uh, a print book uh, surprise will not be in a genre that you review. So, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. That'll be Princeless. No, no, something oh, else. What is? Oh, something else. My yeah. secret. Well, fi- August. I'll tell everyone on in August. Ah, okay. Which okay. will be soon. Yeah, it is super soon. It's around the corner. It's the end of Stephen King of Palooza. Yeah. At this rate, it might be the middle of Stephen King of Palooza because we have a couple lined up. We do have a couple lined up, and it's going to be super fun to do that. And I know I'm excited to get to the mist, and I'm also excited that you got 200 subscribers. That's fucking bonkers, man. Yes, I know. Imagine, you know, uh, I always think about. You know, it doesn't seem like that much, particularly in an age in which 
it seems like every jag off has like a million fucking subscribers and shit like that. And you're like, who's this fucking dickhead? But, uh, but I always put it as like, imagine if like 200 people were like standing in this room right now, that'd be a fucking nightmare. Yep. So imagine that. And then they all know who you are. They all but are- no, yeah. If there was the 200 people that subscribed to my show, that wouldn't be so bad because they're all pretty cool people. So. Yeah. But even you with cool people, you got your, there's a lot of wear and tear on you. I know, yeah. I know you that well. Yeah. True story. <laughs> Very true story. Anyway, what's this fucking movie even about anyways? This movie is about how Amazon is not a bad idea after all. <laughs> staying out of the crowd, staying safe and away, and solar power. That's another thing that's not too bad either, because it could work in low light pretty well. They have enough light, I think, to mm-hmm. power a couple things, so you should just, like, give it up, live far away, don't interact with fucking people. They're a manipulative scum, by and large. <laughs> and wow. monsters. I would have said it was like, never underestimate the versatility of dog food. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, that's true. You know, that's one thing we'd sort of talked about here uh, when we're watching it, is like, do you think that a grocery store is the best place to be stranded in a catastrophe? There are two... For No. Structurally speaking, I could think of a couple of places in a grocery store, and I've worked in more than one uh i've been to i've worked in places that are a lot like farm boys if anyone listening is from canada it would be like a a produce specialist store or like a whole Foods, a whole foods or something like that um i've worked in places that i've worked in big box stores as well that are more similar to walmart's uh the the number one thing is you have certain areas that are secure but i mean what would you do in there like our freezers if the power was off you would suffocate um managers offices that have mag locks but no other way out like what are you gonna do just like sit in there and starve to death i guess do you have a lot of food and supplies with you absolutely but do you not think that everyone else is going there too and if there's a prelude to the disaster people are gonna buy the fucking store out you see it all the time yeah and second of all my building is mostly glass yeah same with this one and it is the biggest downfall of all of that and i think that it's so so fucking sad that our main character goes from his fairly well-appointed house that probably has a generator. He had a boathouse before it got crushed. At a storm basement? Yeah. Yeah. He was pretty well outfitted. He only had to go mingle for supplies. Mm-hmm. And that was that was it. And that was before they knew what a horrible fucking problem they had on their hands. At that point, it was just a windstorm with power outage. Mm-hmm. You know, that was what the big panic was. We had had our tornadoes last year around this time. Yeah. We had a lengthy power outage. People didn't go completely panic berserk because there were still places with power. If this mist would have settled in, though, we'd have been screwed. Yeah. By the, I mean, like, our, the, the shopping mall closest to you and I became like a shanty town, though, because, like, people were, like, powering their phones. Yeah. I was, like, hanging out in a chapters. Yeah, I, I spent time hanging out in the chapters, charging things for sure. That's a great spot to be stranded. And also, that is a great place to go if the mist settles because there's a lot less windows. It seems it a lot more safe and there's a lot of places to hide and cower. You could probably build a pretty reinforced little fort inside of there out of bookshelves alone. Yeah, I think that um, one of the things that a lot of big box stores and just like grocery stores and, and places like that in general, once you get into the back rooms, there's a lot of concrete and there's no windows and there's shit like that. But I mean, you have to think about long term. Yeah. Uh, and I'm always just thinking like, 
you know, especially like let's say like let's say the the the, weird, the ridiculous thing that everyone thinks about is like zombies, right? They're always like, "What's my zombie plan?" And people are always like, "Well, you just drop a few skids in front of these doors and it blocks them." I was like, "Okay, but like a couple hundred pounds of human meat will take that skid down." Yeah. Like, don't underestimate how heavy people get. This has like Lovecraftian tentacle monsters lovecraftian tentacle monsters and plate glass that they're piling dog food in front yeah, of like like for all the fucking good it does i mean like especially when like fucking pterodactyls show up <laughs> is the pterodactyls are really the game changer yeah i really still love and we both really love the the opening uh not the opening scene, but the opening scene of the monsters with the tentacles. Mm-hmm. That's really the thing. Tentacles from Planet X. Yeah. 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 I love that thing. It's so vicious. It's, it's, I, I don't want to overuse this phrase, but it is Lovecraftian. It is, um, it seems plausible like nature. It seems like something that would be in the deep water or something, just something so nasty and vicious and gross. And I, and, and again, I need to emphasize to listeners, um, I did not know what was in the mist. Yeah, that was my... I, I wrote that down. Wes didn't know. What was it like, Wes? Tell us what it was like, Wes, not knowing what was in the mist. It was fucking a complex series of emotions. <laughs> I could imagine. Be- because I remember seeing... Uh, so I had... I've said this many times. I had the movie network when I was growing up as a kid, which was a cable station that played movies uncut. And... They would obviously advertise movies that were coming to the station, and they would advertise The Mist, and I remember the trailers for it. I wanted to check it out because I like horror, and I like Stephen King. Uh, well, I did at that time. I was a convert at that point. Converts make the best zealots. Yeah. And, um, but I never heard of The Mist, and I didn't know what was in The Mist. And so... The, the, that old man saying stay out of the mist is in the trailers. Mm-hmm. And so that's how come I remember it so well. And when you see that guy, like I'm just like every person else looking at this mist, like kind of squinting, like what's in the mist? What's in the mist? And is then it- you see a bloody handprint on the door. I'm like something bad's in the mist. That's what I know. Yeah. And, and I was thinking like something like the fog or something like that just the mist it's the mist and like maybe ghost pirates like something something akin to that is this by i didn't know what it was i I really didn't it said something had taken him and so i knew that i was like there's things in the mist and then when we saw tentacles then i thought oh well that's what's in the mist it's a fucking it's a a boogan. It's a fucking yeah, a big, big tentacle. Thing. It's a big tentacle thing. And 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 the even in the film, I don't know if they do this as a novella, but they ask the question like, what are those things even fucking attached to? And so I think in my uh, child brain, I wasn't that young when this movie came out, but I was still pretty young. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh well, we're gonna figure out what this is. And I was thinking about. Um, I've mentioned this movie before. I can barely fucking remember the title, like the deep or whatever the fuck. Are you best? The abyss and the deep are things I really kind of want to get to. Yeah, that'd be that'd yeah. be cool. Um, but like, where you basically had because like the in, into the deep or the deep or whatever the fuck it was called was like another sort of like CGI tentacle thing going through a huge cruise ship. Yeah, and so I was like, oh, it's probably something like that. And by the end of that film, you get to the the it's gushy center, and you like you know pierce its oily heart and you kill it or whatever the yeah. fuck, right? Yeah. Um, and so I kind of assumed. 
that that's what we were doing. Little did I know that you are not dealing with one tentacle monster. You are essentially dealing with an entire ecosystem of incredibly dangerous creatures. This is like the gritty Pokemon reboot that everyone would want, where like when you actually stop and think about what these fucking Pokemon are, you're like, man, these things are actually pretty dangerous. Like they would kill us all. And why do we, why do they let us put them in balls? And this is what would happen if someone was just like, take all the Pokemon, make them take their fur off, make them purple. And this is what it would be. Just disgusting Lovecraft monsters. And because the, the next thing we see clearly is bugs. Yeah, bugs. The mist as Pokemon. I really enjoy that, Wes. Um, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, suck all the horror right the fuck out of it, why don't you? Um, <laughs> Gotta catch them all. Well, I know you're injecting the horror into Pokemon. I know that was your point, but it backfired for I'm me. So, sorry. <laughs> for me. Uh, but no, it, it, it is, because it is an entire ecosystem. My gosh. And uh, I don't want to be like, oh, they all have their own powers. But, but they kind of have they their... They kind of do, and they have their own, like, any animal out in the wild here that we would deal with in, say, Australia, mm-hmm. where everything is out to kill you. That's sort of what they're dealing with here, things with stingers. And at first, like, this is one of those movies where you kind of yell at the TV a little bit. And even knowing what to expect, I still yell at the TV a little bit. Yes, we yelled to kill that Mrs. Carmody over and over. Oh, my but God. They're all at the windows. They're marveling over these bugs. I wouldn't be marveling over... And I'm not afraid of bugs, but I wouldn't be marveling yeah. over a bug that's bigger than my head. No yeah. effing way, man. Oh, it's like a fucking oh serving plate. It's yeah. huge. And if we know anything about bugs, especially little flying ones at night... They're attracted to light, so you're shining lights out the window, and I can't stop but, like, back away from the window. And you'd think they'd know that, because they're all small-town people. Do you think that they don't have, like, every bug in the world at their screen doors, like, every night? Well, it's May 5 season. Some things are going to be coating the cars in the morning. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And they're, like, a lakeside town, too. So they exactly. Do all so, like, all bugs. the fucking things that would be buzzing around there every single night. They know bugs. Yeah. My God. If so, anyone. yeah. But then those things crack through because the pterodactyls come. Man. And and again, the pterodactyls, the, the agenda of these creatures really seems to be go, hunt, eat, just like an animal. Yeah. And, we, and, we, and that's demonstrated by the fact that we are seeing them simply eat and fuck off. Uh, when they're when they're in danger, if they're being injured or something like that, they will retreat. They're not these unstoppable killing machines. They can very much be killed, um, and also they will ignore. They're not ravenous eating machines. They will go towards the easiest prey. These pterodactyls are eating the bugs because this is food that they would recognize. No, no, have you ever sat outside a convenience store and watched little tiny wrens pick the bugs off the side of the concrete mm-hmm. or hang out there before, at dusk when the bugs are, like, getting ready to swarm the lights? And when people go in and out of the convenience store, all the birds mm-hmm. and bugs kind of fuck off, and then they all come back. Mm-hmm. And then they fuck off and they come back. Because, yeah, they are unstoppable eating machines, and they have a level of self-preservation like these pterodactyls, which aren't, you know... Without their own predators, I'm yeah. suspecting. Yeah, and man, the 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 variation of creatures that we see in this movie is fantastic. I love them, and and that's how come like I don't I, like for me with CGI, it's the same with practical to me. Like, yes, I understand that 
bad CGI to me is always worse than bad practical. But if we're talking about like, oh, I know that's that looks fake. I'm like, well, it all looks fake. Like even you like, have a flaming pterodactyl flapping around in a convenience store, yeah, people chasing after it with yeah, guns. Yeah, and they're okay. just like, no, oh, that looks fake. I'm like, well, everything. I'm never going to be fooled. That's my pride in life. I've never <laughs> once been fooled by practical effects or CGI. I've always known that what I'm looking at is fake. So what are we really talking about here? Just allow the the story to be told to you and whatever they're trying to represent to you via the CGI. Just say, okay, well, this is what they're trying to say. It's googly-eyed purple bugs and, and arachnids and pterodactyls and, and all kinds of crazy critters. And... That look like things that we recognize, but not quite. Mm, Exactly. And I think that it's the little faces that will screw up the believability with anyone, especially those bugs, perhaps with the spiders. It's that they got little faces and we get to see their little eyes and we're judging their veracity based on their little faces. If they would have avoided showing us little faces, Mm -hmm. it'd probably be a lot easier for us to be like, oh my God, there are otherworldly creatures that we cannot possibly understand. The tentacles, it was a little easier because you're not looking for their little faces (laughs) and you're not looking for that believability so much i I really enjoyed the cg on the tentacles uh, with the exception of the melting tentacle portion but i did i found that the most believable and most icky squicky looking thing but they do have these uh these large pterodactyl flying creatures are at this point what that we've seen the most dangerous like the one girl gets stung. She's our our cashier, who is also the babysitter of the young boy in the story, yeah. and the love interest of one of the army dudes, who's played from Deacon St. John from Days Gone, which is hilarious to me. Um, and he's so much younger, too, so it's a lot more... Like a lot more interesting. I would have never guessed that he was that same furry-looking character from that biker game. But... <laughs> No, like he's totally clean cut, of course, for like an army dude, mm-hmm. part of the Arrowhead project that is taking place in something like a Cheyenne Mountain, I take it, sort of installation near Castle Rock. Yeah, something like that. It's like it's like um, it's like those like conspiracy theories, like what is the Monotuck Project or yeah. or whatever, just like these ideas of like these secret government installations that are fucking with interdimensional travel and or um psychic uh warfare and any sort of like supernatural it's like you know like with the nazis and like their thule society and shit like that it's that type of level like thomas trying to get us to storm area 51 yeah (laughs) is he going is he going he i hope he's like thomas don't go don't Don't go go, thomas like they will literally shoot you oh i saw the coolest thing though it was a 12k fun run roswell or not roswell area 51 12k (laughs) fun run they can't stop all of us it says along the bottom it's a fucking perfect shirt but that's what people are suspecting are going on up there you've heard the stories i've heard the stories that's even coming from the guy that works up there Mm -hmm. he just works there he doesn't know what Mm -hmm. they're fucking doing it's the scientists um, which is the sort of rhetoric that gets him in a lot of trouble with the zealots. Yeah, and let's talk about that because that is a massive theme of this film. As like you have basically, uh, what's his name, Drayton, David Drayton, who is like the sort of like main everyman, main everyman, and he's really down to earth. 
Yeah. He's educated, but he's not a highfalutin lawyer like his next door neighbor. No, he's an artist. He's an artist. He actually, it seems to me, he's drawing the covers of the drawing of the three and the gunslinger, the dark tower. Yeah. He's drawing all that series covers, which Mm -hmm. is crazy to me. He seems to do poster art because he's got like a John Carpenter's thing uh, poster in the background that looks like it's on an easel. So I guess the implication, and he also talks about the fact that his poster got ruined and it is this idea that he is sort of a relic of the past in which p- movie posters are hand painted. I think it's book covers. I think that's it could seriously be, what he's doing is book covers. Cause there true. are very few artists that still do those really cool the only, covers. The only thing that makes me say movie poster is because his snide comment when his wife says, like, what if they'll just extend, can't they just extend it? He'll just say, oh, they'll Photoshop something in a day, and it'll just be, like, two heads. And that's, like, a big criticism I hear about. The floating mo- heads yeah, posters. Yeah. yeah, so, like, that's a big criticism I hear about movie posters. That's the only reason. But you might be right. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it's not, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, but um, It's only because they are book covers that he's doing that I think that. Yeah, true. But, yeah, his comment does definitely lend itself to the floating head syndrome. But... Mm-hmm. He is every man, and it's it's strange to have him pitted against his neighbor, who is only like slightly more wealthy, so more educated, more hard headed. Yeah, he's very similar. They're very similar. Yeah, they just seem like just like kind of regular guys. I mean, I know his friend, uh, friend, his frenemy, his frenemy. They, we, you put it like that in the movie. I had to giggle because that's exactly what he is. Yeah, Brent. Uh, he is he's like big city New York lawyer, and. And uh, he, he had a case against the town uh, and about property dispute or whatever the fuck it was. And so he kind of is, you know, he pays his taxes and he mentions this and, and he, he uses this place as a summer home, essentially, or a vacation home or whatever the fuck. But he's still something of a pariah. It's not even just uh, David that doesn't really care for him. A lot of people don't necessarily care for him. And he's the first person that they want to convert on their side because in a weird way i just fucking put this together in my head they wanted a mouthpiece like uh, like the, the the society's official mouthpiece which is lawyers lawyers yes definitely and uh, versus uh mrs uh carmody who is the sort of old testament town friar in a way like like that and so like they want to get him on a side but the fact is he's too cold hard logic and it just so happens that he doesn't really seem to question that norm the most authentic looking like part-timer at a grocery store i've ever seen in my entire life he totally is um and i like how he's so like adamant because he wants to do this thing because it's his idea he finally had one that's the cool part yeah and 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 like like i said I, i said this before we started watching it i was like this bag boy is like every uh, any one of a thousand part-timers that I've worked with in my entire life. They're all, they all look like him and they all act like him. <laughs> um, and Last night praises the casting of the mist. I do. With this guy. This is, very, sure. it's very authentic to me. And, yeah. but he's obviously the first to die. And of course they have no body. And it just so happens that they don't have a tentacle anymore, even though they chop the fucking end of it off because it disintegrates like a vampire. And when they finally do rouse a few of the guys to come back and look to try and prove to them that, oh my god, there is something in the mist and it's bigger and scarier than we could have imagined and it fucking killed Norm, um, they don't bring the neighbor 
back there with him. No. He doesn't get to witness no. that one little thing. No, and that he's, would have proved it. He's he's a he's a big advocate, as a lot of lawyers are. He doesn't he doesn't agree with you saying things and creating a burden for yourself. You need to be able to prove what you're saying with evidence. So it splits this place into three, which is helpful, I think, because it leaves us as the audience unable to really choose. Mm-hmm. It's easy for most of us, I'd like to think, to say, no, I'm not going to be on the side of Mrs. Carmody yeah. with her fucking zealotry and her Bible thumping and mm-hmm. her insanity. Because she's obviously clearly very fucking insane. But you, you're, you're sort of tugged between the other two. Like, okay, you can follow Norton and his plan to get out and get help which they do or you can hang back and try and figure out what's going on and and you know hole up and see what their resources are and slowly perhaps get a plan to safely go for help Mm -hmm. eventually maybe but they need to like have a grip on what the fuck they're dealing with right now but they Mm -hmm. do know one thing is that whatever's in the mist will kill them they know Mm -hmm. that at least so it's a hard kind of to to choose between those two. You, you as the audience, have the upper hand of knowing what's in the mist in a way. Something's mm-hmm. attached to those tentacles. If you hadn't seen, if you didn't know what was in the mist while you're watching it. But you might also gravitate towards the side of Norton and be like, we got to run, right? Yeah, and I think that um, this could really be a weird way of, of uh, you know, we've talked about this before. Uh, it's like, what are you afraid of? Okay, what are you afraid of specifically? Okay, you go stand over here, and that's what you're afraid of. What are you afraid of? Okay, now you go stand over here. Uh, what are you afraid of? Okay, now you stand over here. And then how we process that information, because you have people who are essentially in denial, uh, which a lot of people, let's, you know, you can use something like climate change. It's like people are like, nah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm not a religious person, but I don't believe that. And then there's people who are like, yeah, there's climate change, and it's going to kill us all because this is the rapture and it's God's punishment. And then there's people who are like, okay, I don't believe in religion. I believe in science and information but we need to like sit and kind of like gather information before we like make a plan yeah. and that's kind of like how people t- tackle stuff like that um uh because a lot of times people want to like sit and think and then have a plan that's actually actionable um and i think that's where like i would like i would be i would be so torn as to not wanting to be part of this at all like there, there's a part of me where you know that woman goes out to save her children there's a part of me that that kind of would feel like i'm just better off on my own some more walking dead alum more yeah. walking yeah there's quite a few or at least two um um but i definitely felt like I I don't know. Like, there's a part of me that's like, oh, yeah, Drayton, like, they seem to be the most logical. But, like, I'll tell you this much. Oh, I would not share the fate with those people. I, if I was sitting oh, like... Oh, yeah, I don't think that's the best outcome. Because, because I definitely am always in the mindset of, like, I'll take my chances. Like, my idea was I'll, like, scurry like a mouse. Like, scurry and hide. Scurry and hide. <laughs> and you're small like one, too. I so know, like- I can do it. I can do it. I can do it, Wes. I believe Although... You. That's how mice get eaten by eagles, right? Pterodactyl just swoop down and put me up and eat yeah, me like and, and, and And I think that when you're looking at how these animals behave, you could just look at it from a, a clearly rational point of view. And it's just like, they were lucky. That woman who left into the mist was yeah. just lucky. She was. She, she left immediately before a lot of those larger, more deadly animals had a chance to sort of settle. Yeah. 
And there was so many people out and about already that there was an ample amount of food source. And she just slipped through the cracks. She scurried and she hid. Exactly. Scurry, hide, scurry, hide till she got home. Then they hid. Maybe they scurried a little bit Mm -hmm. more. Her her mouse kids. She's kind of mousy looking. Yeah, she's one of my one of my more favorite characters, but Ollie has got to be my yeah. most favorite character, not only because he plays a pivotal role throughout this film and does yeah. some of the most heroic and amazing things. Agreed, um, yeah. He starts out pretty pretty interesting because not only does he have a, an outlook that as as you had noted, you can really only get from people watching at a grocery store. Yeah. And he points out something that sort of sets the tone for a lot of what what goes down in the grocery store to come when he says when people are scared they'll believe whoever offers a solution and he does blame a lot of the way people are acting and he forgives a lot of the way that people are acting because they're scared and he's scared too but he's really holding it in check yeah, quiet, mild-mannered guy, uh, not to be underestimated. His name is Ollie Weeks. I mean, Stephen King, I've said it before, is the king of naming things in movies after himself, like King's Pharmacy Next Door. But um, he names his characters fantastically, uh, something that he's yeah. learned by observing people. Like, I've definitely worked in the um, engineering industry and seen people who work on the roads named like Carly Rhodes and they are a fucking road engineer and I've seen people that work in bitumen and and rocks and stuff like that and his name is stone or granite like (laughs) that it happens people are named after their fucking professions for some reason let alone people in fiction and literature and great literature all Mm -hmm. through our lives have these you know, like Snape. Who who names uh, evil people Snape, right? Like exactly, that's yeah. a great name. Um, Ollie Weeks is a fucking fantastic name for this character. Yeah, he really tells you a, a whole story just by that, right? Yeah, like Ollie you can't even say it with a sneer. You're like Ollie, Ollie, what a good guy. And you can see why the store manager sort of acts like such a twat towards him. I don't condone it, but I can understand it. Yeah. I think that Ollie is also really authentic casting for like a classic lifer type in a grocery store. Yeah. Like when you think about an older guy who probably is, you know, pretty soft spoken and, you know, just like a nice quiet dude probably goes home to his cat, that type of guy. Like, And it's hi fi because he's probably worked hard enough and long enough to save up to have like a really good sound system, listens to vinyl. Oh, yeah. Just- probably doesn't drink. No, probably. Oh, yeah. oh, no way. He probably enjoys like a Dr. Pepper or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he is the type of person that, again, if you like to people watch, grocery stores are an Olympic level people watching sport because everyone's got to eat. Everyone has to eat. And if they live in that area, people from all walks of life, of all races, creeds, whatever, um, they have to go to this one place. And like I said, it's a chore. Nobody likes to do it. People usually go there when they're fucking hungry or when they're pressed for time. So society breaks down so fucking fast. And and believe me, the employees aren't much better because they don't want to be there either. I always say the funniest thing about a grocery store is you're standing in a building that literally no one wants to be in. It's no. pretty much true. It is pretty much true. And that's why I'm just such a big proponent. I'm just waiting until we get as forward thinking as, say, San Francisco with drone deliveries of fresh vegetables. I mean, then I wouldn't have to leave the house for that specific task. Yeah. Yeah. But you'd miss the human interaction with me. 
I get human interaction with you just fine. You're not pawing through produce. You're free, man. You're <laughs> my, free. My big sweaty hands on all your pears. At least they weren't on the floor. No. And I'll have you know that uh, produce that we find underneath the tables and on the floor, those go right into the green bins for the cattle to eat. So. That's true. And like that's one thing about this film that does reinforce the whole, oh, it's the best place to be stranded. The best place in a zombocalypse is going to be the mall. The best place in the mist is going to be the grocery store because you have like flares and mops and tires and fires and dog food and food and then aspirin and everything you can fucking possibly want. Except for the guy that got burnt to death, you do need to go to the pharmacy for him. So they need to take so a run. This cast is huge. It is. And and there's so much time where you get people get like I, I, I usually call them like favor shots where like an extra shows up and does like one thing and you're like, Who's that guy? How did he get how did he get that moment and no one else got that moment? Like, like you know, what's what's going on there? But this has so many. And in Star Trek, they would just be red shirts. It's like a dude yeah. that shows up to do one thing and they get fucking aced. I mean, there's a woman who <laughs> spends the entire movie cradling this young child, and I don't. She has like one line. Yeah. Like, and, <laughs> and it's it's remarkable to me. But this movie has like a really interesting aesthetic, like that. And yeah, moppy fire guy and a dude that gets his leg cut off, and like fucking uh, guy that gets eaten by a pterodactyl. Like, there's biker just, guy. Yeah, biker the guy. biker guy. Biker guy's fun. I like the, biker guy. I, and he's got more lines. There's lots of people that just don't even really have any lines. Yeah. It's yeah. like I was like, wait, this guy killed like two bugs. He's definitely gonna get fucking aced. That's why you keep thinking Ollie's going to bite at any minute, because Ollie seems like a red shirt, but he's yeah. got a little bit too much wisdom. Yeah. And he's he's got some he's got some life wisdom from people watching, and the most important wisdom of all, he's a crack shot 1994 uh, champion, target Marksman, shooter. Yeah, he is. Uh, he has skills. He has skills, unlike a lot of the fucking people in there, yeah. which becomes a point of contention of the yokels. There's kind mm-hmm. of a yokel contingent here mm-hmm. that um, want to be helpful, end up screwing things up here and there, um, are good with their hands and need a task to do. All they point that out. You know, they need a job to do to keep them sane right now. If they're not busy, they're going to be a thorn in your side. And it's so very true. But it sort of comes to bite them in the ass. Those are the people that are cranky because it seems like they're less useful because they're dim-witted to a certain extent or too simple and they're not city folk. And it there is like this real undercurrent of um, yokel versus not so yokely. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to put my finger on because it's not that apparent except for a few of the lines of Jim's. But then Jim goes full yokel when he becomes a convert of mm. the religious fanatics. He's just again like like the fear of that pharmacy sequence. That pharmacy sequence is great, by the way. Like those spiders, and there's like there's a scene in it that's almost straight out of fucking Aliens. Yes, exactly. And I had that is a scene that is the most awesome, really visually and fearfully and horror in a horror movie oh, yeah. setting, right? That I forgot. Like I remembered some snippets of it, but not where it was or like you said how long it had gone on, which is crazy because it is really really wonderful and the spiders themselves are probably one of the more dangerous as far as their caustic webbing and just what they do to people quick and they're so numerous and Mm -hmm. and honestly like it's it's if you have a like arachnophobia at all like this is definitely gonna like get to you because 
I mean, God, it, like talk about like that uh, story from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, like yeah. amped up to a million, right? Yeah, and it's not like as bad as Shalab, which is when great big spiders. There's a whole bunch of little fucking ones. Yeah, exactly. That are just insane, and we saw what the sting of one of those bugs outside did to the cashier. Oh yeah, I and mean, pretty, dead in seconds. Yeah, that was horrible. So we can just imagine what it would, what these would do if they actually got their biters into you or fangs or whatever mm-hmm. any venom let alone what their webs can do their webs can do and and i mean like you would almost be hoping that they kill you to eat you and not lay eggs in you so you erupt hours later in baby spiders because that seems worse to me no it's true it is true um a very very harrowing scene very mm. harrowing scene but luckily they get out of that because Earlier, we had seen people go off into the mist, and there was a team that took off in the mist one way. Our biker friend went to get a shotgun out of someone's truck, and he had a rope tied to him. He yeah. only got what they said, 150 Two, 200 feet. Or 200 well, they had 200 feet, feet of rope. Well, they had 300 feet of, oh, 300 300 feet. Feet of rope, oh, okay. and he got only 200 feet. And it's only 150 feet to the land rope. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I got, they I get got you with, math. They get you with some math on this, yeah, for sure. But we had seen what was left of him, which is kind of hilarious. There's another spot where we yell at the TV, because he's pulling on the rope, and there's blood on the rope, and people are like, oh my god, the rope, and it's bloody, and he's pulling, and then you can see this torso, bottom half of a man being dragged across the parking lot, and blood everywhere, and everyone's freaking out, and our man of action is still pulling on the rope. Oh, yeah. I mean, this rope is covered in gore, and maybe at that point, you might think, maybe he's all right. I mean, it's a little bloody. It's still good. It's still good. Mm. And, and But, like, you can see the, this man has been bisected. Yeah. There's, and, and the part where, like, the brains and organs are is not present. You are just getting, like, the lower half. of How that rope is still around the, the body is beyond me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Only because it's tied to his belt. Like, that's the only yeah. reason. Like, yeah, yeah, it is so gross, but it's hilarious that he keeps pulling on it. And you're even saying, like, don't pull. I was like, like you, you got it, man. You, yeah. you, he's dead. You're like, you can't. But we've seen people go into the mess. So, them going to the store next door, the pharmacy, is insane. And the group of them is sort of insane. Like, they have butcher knives taped to the ends of sticks as their primary defense, aside from Ollie and his gun. They have Miss Repler. She's like 70 years old. Yeah, the old elementary school teacher. Who I love is like one of my favorite characters in this. I, I love this. Um, again, like Stephen King is so good at um, generational characters, right? So this is your old school mom who knows everyone because you literally had she had all of you in her class yeah and like and so you're looking at like these grown adults who are like in their 40s encroaching on 50s and this aged woman was like i knew you when you were like yay hi to a grasshopper you know what i mean like that's and i love that sort of familiarity and this fucking old lady's fucking balls of steel because she has this moment in that pharmacy where the spider is like right in her face and i don't know if it's Shock. There's only one moment where I see that character really afraid mm-hmm. or like really just can't handle what's going on where she's covering her ears and that's when the soldier's getting carted off. But in this moment, it's just like she looks at this spider and just puts up an aerosol can and just fucking roasts it. I think that that comes with her age and yeah. living where they live. Because like you'd said, these people live in a place where you'd be used to bugs. She's used to oh, farming yeah. and bugs. And 
it just see she strikes me as someone who's been a widower for our widow for quite some time so maybe she's had to fend for herself quite oh, a lot yeah. and dealing with unruly horrible school children oh, I'm, yeah. I'm a teacher i'm a professor but i get to deal with adults thank you yeah, very adults. fucking much yeah. um i can't imagine how yeah. many insane moments she's been faced with that she's had to face with such great candor and quick thinking and patience patience and just an adult reaction yeah and when she pelts miss carmody with that pecan i love it it's so and good and even's like you stone people to death in the bible don't you like, yeah. that's the one thing that i do like about carmody is that she has she has a lot of wit more so than and makes her more dangerous mm-hmm. than the average bible thumper because a lot of the ones i've dealt with especially born again um they, they they have there's something missing in there where they're just not doing any sort of rational thinking for themselves it's passion because one of the things and again like i grew up uh from a pretty religious family uh not so much my parents but certainly the branches on either side of the family certainly my grandparents which i've talked about before but the one thing that i know that religion is a placeholder for is explanation and meaning to a lot of things mm-hmm. and when people turn towards religion in a big bad way uh and i'm not vilifying people who are religious because i know people can be religious and rational but unfortunately the people who are the loudest are the people that get that aggravate me the most I don't want to get into a whole thing about it. They're usually not rational. Yeah. So the, the, I think that a lot of times when people are converted, particularly at a much older age, like I, I know like older teenagers that have converted and they, they have a very black and white interpretation of things, very dogmatic. And, and again, like that void, whatever they're filling, yeah. whatever thing this is doing for them has turned into blinding passion and that's not and they're there they they cannot articulate things i find that people who grew up from a very young age into very religious families who had like rational religious parents are very able to like differentiate things and interpret things as shades of gray and like yada 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 so like this type of thing is very uh she's very dogmatic it's a, a very draconian in her interpretation of the bible old testament as amanda would point mm-hmm. out yeah but um she's also clearly used to turn a phrase because a lot of times when you are seeing you feel like the only person in in an area who believes a thing the way that you believe it uh you have a lot of detritors who will only reinforce your uh belief system because this is uh, the, the the Bible in one of its many things will tell you that uh, um, uh, perseverance is next to godlihood. So like you need to like get hit and go forward as opposed to like coil. And so this is a woman who is like you know a, a, a sort of was probably like a snarky but fairly mild mannered woman who only had her words, and now she has become this uh, uh, messenger of God. And so you see this fever pitch of madness and how religion can turn people because, and and how mob mentality can 
can just make people so venomous and violent and 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 her fear is manifesting that so this long ass fucking explanation is to say that it's not surprising to me that the, the most insidious Mm-hmm. of religious uh, people and politicians and anyone are people who are very good at talking yeah. because people who are very not good at talking, even if they have a good brain on their heads, will get talked into the dirt from someone who is essentially a fucking moron. Yeah. Yeah. We see this happen on Twitter every single day. Yep. Yeah. It's it's insane. And she is insane. We can all agree with that. But she's doubly dangerous because she is witty. And actually, I do enjoy some of her. her no, they're funny. Like, listen, the funny, the funny is funny, right? Yeah, it's a funny, funny line. Funny. Like, <laughs> like, but uh, uh, David has a very good observation. She's got four converts today. Tomorrow will be half of them. And then the next day, it'll be everyone. Yeah. And then... They're, they're going to be looking for someone to sacrifice, which I thought, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, yeah. okay, I get it. I understand your fear. But my initial reaction is like, no, 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 no. Like, really. They're, they're, they're religious insanoids. It's, they're harmless. They're harmless. That's yeah. what I've always been told about insane religious people all my life is they're harmless. Just let them breach walk away it's yeah. fine they don't it's they have to turn the other cheek like i said not this fucking moron oh my god yes we're both very aggravated by a person like mrs Carmody. And, and and again like you know this isn't the actress fault this is not the oh, script's yeah. fault this is yeah. not stephen king's fault no. this is just like this if anything is doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing the only other more anger making things than watching this and maybe carrie white's mom are watching that Bible camp, that Jesus camp documentary. Have you ever watched Jesus yeah. camp? That's angry making or like a fire. Yeah. Those are two documentaries that are right up there with the angry making. And maybe that one, that one, that new one that everyone's flipping out about is uh, about unplanned pregnancies and no, pro life one. one. Oh, it's brand new and everyone's losing their mind, but I guess the, theaters have chosen to show it which is great and i think that's fine because i was on the other end of that with wanting to see the red pill documentary about a feminist going into the pro-men movements and doing a documentary about her changing her mind about what really is equality and pro-female and pro-men it was a really good documentary but protesters shut it down in a lot of theaters and i thought that was a real slight against the free-thinking person where this documentary is the opposite end it's something that is very bullheaded but it has every right to be to be out there i think um and it is angry making especially when you're pretty damn sure that that is is bullheaded closed-minded dogmatic backwards thinking that the planet doesn't need it's, it's, and it certainly is not helping anything. It's certainly not keeping anyone alive. Yeah. And it's certainly not um, coming any further to answering things. And the closest the closest they have to answers, well, they're just going to pitch that right out the fucking door, ain't they? Oh, well, truly, they do. And like, what is her plan, ultimately, aside from sacrificing people to keep the beast sated, whatever? Yeah. Uh, she's gone Colonel Kurtz. She doesn't really have an answer. No, but what she, and you could see it leading to this, was just like every day they'll just find another quote-unquote non-believer, and every day that they sacrifice someone, and uh, they will, they will um, 
be safe. And you can see her, like she wants, she's zeroing in on Amanda. She's like, we're going to burn the horror. We're going to like kill her. We're going to kill them all. And, and then, you know, the second anyone speaks out against it, Oh, well, that person will get tossed outside. It's like fucking high school of the dead, like that weird teacher that like had everyone in the sex bus. Ah, yeah, I remember that. I remember the sex bus. Um, Did you see the Darren Aronofsky movie uh, Mother yet? Have you seen Mother? No, I haven't. Oh, Mother's great. And it is... Oh, wait. No, wait. That's not the... That's not the, the what the twin boys that are like. Uh, no. Oh, sorry, I'm confusing a thing. No, no, that's good night, mommy. That's a whole different, right, right, whole right, different right, thing. right, right. Mother is it ha- one of the things about mother, and this isn't a spoiler, but it is very high tension, very fucking high tension, and it has a lot to do with just the crowd of people. At and, and by the time this movie reaches fever pitch. And there is a scene that is reminds me very much of the way that these people are flipping out in this grocery store. And you've got the zealots on one side, the people that want to make a run for it on the other. And this insane ringleader is demanding the life of this boy, which seems like absolutely surreal that they've even gotten to this point. But you understand that these stakes are very, very real in this moment. But the cacophony, the insanity, the people with knives, there's a guy with a gun, there's a screaming fucking heretic. And like, it's insane. It really is. And again, during this conversation that they had, I want to say at the midway point of this movie, about, you know, Amanda very much believes in people. And she's like, people, we they can handle this. They can do this. People are inherently good. Yeah. And everyone, it, like, they have their different points, whether they have no faith in humanity whatsoever, whether, you know, you're Ollie's perspective or David's perspective, where he's just like, yeah, everyone's rational as long as the fucking lights are on and you know the 911 works uh and and then she has this realization where it's it's only been two days two days and even people that were in their camp are now squarely over to the side of the religious zealots and they now the rational people are in the vast minority and they've literally seen uh, them kill somebody. Even Mrs. Carmody, when when there's when that soldier gets knifed, yeah, she she you can see that she's not entirely there yet. But it's but like again, it's that mob mentality, and she gets more bold and more aggressive with every motion. But like you could definitely see that it is fear. She is afraid, and there's a part of their part of her that is confident in her religion because she had like that weird moment with the bug and shit like that. Even though I'll be like, those bugs weren't inherently aggressive. Like uh, that one woman got stung because she was flailing around, and everyone else like just killed the bugs. But um, she had this one sort of like come to Jesus moment with that bug and that's all well and good. But um, you can see that much like a lot of people postulated with Charles Manson, where it was kind of like, yeah, you're preaching for a while and things kind of got out of hand. And then you're just like, no, people would say there's other people who were whispering in other people's ears and and sort of pulling strings there where he was just like, yeah, yeah, that's what I meant all along. Exactly. Right. And then what are you supposed to do? Like, like your, your, your butcher, your, your, white knight has 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 knifed this person and she's like yeah yeah now sacrifice them outside 
And then they looked at her for like answers, and she's like, "Oh, that'll do for today." And and again, like she was like, "And and and now we're safe for today, and then tomorrow, I don't know what happens." Like, yeah. she, like so, I think that they do a good job now watching it more critically, of of showing that like she's not. There are even there are moments with her where she's like, "Whoa!" That's- the thing that I find most sad about the way that people have split here is um, like, there's nothing wrong with the uh, the survivor types that mm-hmm. want to leave, and survivor type is another Stephen King story that I've always wanted to see as a fucking film. Um, but uh, the the yokels, and I I, I use yokel as a, as a term just so everyone knows what I mean. Um, yeah, but I don't mean it as derogatory as, as it comes out i'm sure because yeah. i grew up in dog patch as my mother would call it yeah you're a yokel kind of I, I am a yokel i definitely am a yokel um i think that's part of like living in the city but wanting to pretend i live in the country where no one is really near me and i can like walk out of my house and just like not see the people listen to the cars coming down the road and shit. Yeah, pretend i'm walking down a country road and the sun dappled fucking tree line yeah that's not really what i see outside but i can pretend mm-hmm. um that they all sort of gravitate to mrs Carmody, and that makes me very sad because yes there is a higher amount of religious and if you want to characterize the bible belt you're going to do it with highly religious yokels stephen king writes those people very very effectively too and it's just sad to me because a lot of people i know that do live in the countryside a lot of my family a lot of relatives aren't necessarily uh religious and and some of them are absolutely not religious and a lot of them have sort of gravitated to their own version of a pagan belief system that is a lot more earth-based and if these people with dirt under their fingernails and john deere fucking 40 w gear oil on their pants aren't any more close to earth i will eat my hat Mm -hmm. yeah i i totally agree with that but i also would give them a pass because in this extreme circumstance when you are of and you know simpler upbringing if you have a more modest education when you didn't spend a lot of time doing deep, scary thinking, and then all of a sudden you're faced with deep, scary thinking mm-hmm. about your own mortality. Of Lovecraftian proportions. Of, of Lovecraftian. Then you would backslide into the easiest, most familiar answers. And what these people, you know, particularly some of our, our converts, what they seem to be seeking more than anything is safety. And every time that people die in this place... Every time that they see these creatures is when more people convert to the religious side. So I think that I think that in this case, I could forgive it. And also it makes it so much more believable because most people, it really is almost like 12 angry men in which you have one person at the beginning of the story, the only voice that's trying to say one thing. In this case, not the voice of reason, but a voice nonetheless. And then by the end of it, it's it's the, uh, the flip flop where it's yeah. like everyone's in this person now, and then the, like the person who is like the most uh, on the other side is still holding out. But in this case, you know, we're, we are dealing with like Lovecraftian monsters and shit like that. It's now, also New England, so maybe that's a lot of it too. Yeah, true. Yeah. But I mean, I, I even like you know our big tough biker man. You know, he's got this. He's like, I believe in God, but I don't think he's you know, 
I don't believe in your version of God. And that's almost mm-hmm. like Catholicism and uh, uh, Protestant, yeah. right? It's like, you know, I don't, you know, I'm going to go stand over here because my interpretation of God is over here. And again, like, I just, this is just so well done. And I, like, you know what I mean? Like, and I, we could talk for days about this, but there is one thing that I do want to talk about. What is it? Let's talk about Ollie <laughs> acing that bitch once and for all. Which is something we've wanted to see for a while. Oh and God. when Irene throws a can of peas at her head and starts yeah. stoning her, we're almost expecting everyone to pounce on the old lady. Because everyone, the tension is already high by that oh, point. Yeah. The tension is ultra fucking high by this point. And it breaks the, probably the most high tension moment in this film is when everyone is at one another's throats and you think someone is going to be torn away from their father and sacrificed to these creatures. And we've seen mm-hmm. them do it, so we believe they can. It it's silenced with a gunshot from Ollie uh, in the stomach. So he shoots her in the stomach and then double taps. Yeah, kills shoots her right in the head. And I think that I was like, that one was to shut you up, but this one's for me. And and boom, because he like does not want this person surviving. And you know she's lying on the floor in a, a cruciform essentially. And you know you have um, and then of course like the the um, the sort of like audacity that people have like they're so incredulous like you killed her i was like uh like an hour ago you literally like your butcher pal knifed this kid three times and then you pitched his ass out to be eaten by yeah you're all murderers you're all murderers and And it's her fault and it's her fault and she rabble rouse them and like there's a part of me that's like well good but i'm just like nah i could definitely see like the damage is done with these people. Like I definitely, feel, and it's particularly thanks to the ending is like, if the people in that grocery store survive, they're going to think that they survived because X, Y, and Z. And I was like, well, great. Hopefully, hopefully what I'm hoping for is like, after the dust is settled and the mist is cleared and all that kind of shit, everyone just kind of like, whew, straightens or comes to this. Oh, that was kind of, we all do some wild shit in the mist, guys, right? Anyway, let's yeah. all just, like, get out of here. What happens in the mist stays in the mist, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. right? Because yeah. Drayton and his crew, of like Amanda and Mrs. Repler and Ollie and, uh, you know, Big Mustache Man and store owner and shit like, or store manager. And Dan, the old guy, the the old guy that first ran into oh the God. grocery store so and yelled that there's something in the mist. I love this guy. He's like, reminds me of like the homeless dude from Soul Station, who's like the first one to like encounter anything and the first character that you see that knows definitively what's going on and yeah. he makes it all the way to the end. I'm so fucking choice on characters like that. But um, for certain... There's a, um, there's a. Well, you know, there was also a homeless guy in uh, Train to Busan. So both those versions of that movie, like the, the the prequel and the sequel, or the original film, both have like a homeless person that like survives through pretty much the whole thing. But um, uh, this last assault to the car, because you know, fuck the groceries, fuck everything. We're just getting out of here because they just killed this woman, and it seems to have like quelled the fever in a way because it seemed as though without her their power sort of dies like everyone kind of drops the knives like the two most like vicious people that she had on her side who were like no we'll kill people we have knives and the biggest guys the too. biggest guys too yeah um they kind of drop their knives and shit like that and then we get out and then it's kind of like clear the wheat from the shaft a uh, couple get rid of a couple more extra characters because there's one creature that i love that's hanging around it's like a praying mantis like i love this thing um and it's what takes out ollie poor ollie like 
you know. And he doesn't even see it coming. He has just redeemed himself. Well, not that he redeemed himself. He's the only one that's been like actively like killing things and like. Oh, he's just proved his heroism to us entirely. Oh, yeah. And he feels rotten and we know it. He didn't want to kill a person, but he wanted to save everybody. Mm -hmm. That was the whole point of him killing her. And he's, you know, he is a crack shot and they need him to a Mm -hmm. certain extent. And we know that he would probably do pretty good by himself too. Cause he is mm-hmm. pretty resourceful and very quick on his feet. And he could probably have escaped by himself. Yeah. Cause really. he did get to that car first before anybody else. Yeah. And he did. And maybe that was the, the worst thing that could have happened because that bug zeroes in on him. And just as the rest of the people are approaching the car, they're like, Oh shit, Ollie. And he turns around and gets bit. He does gets picked right up. And, you can probably assume that this is probably the same thing that well it killed the soldier, it probably killed that big biker guy. Like that's definitely the thing. We never see the tentacle thing ever again, and it makes me so mad because Are you know, sure it wasn't the big, big, big thing? That, that thing was, was that was it snuffling around the back of the grocery store? There's no way no, that it was just passing through. Yeah, that thing's footsteps would have like shook that entire you're store. Right, you're definitely right. So we don't see the fucking whatever octopus tentacle thing monster. yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Well, like we don't see you know hrog naglach or whatever the fuck <laughs> but like yeah but what we do uh get to see is like it's a it's it's your old favorites them spiders like you got like your praying mantis like did the pterodactyls show up again i don't know but like i don't think so but everyone likes the spiders i know i do yeah and i like the spider crawling over the truck like the cg mm-hmm. there is really good because it is very yeah. believable and they're yeah. working in this very thick mist i am you know high fives to the mist wranglers in this because there is a lot of mist that they deal with everywhere mm-hmm. and i'm sure that they've you know maybe white screened some stuff so that the mist awesome. isn't really quite that thick so there's just like a white sheet that people are walking toward a lot of the time oh. to make it seem so much more thick yeah. or whatever and you definitely get a sense that like five feet in front of you you lose someone like you mm-hmm. need to be like right fucking there the store manager actually gets back into the store yeah um to let you know that at the very least like the people in there will let you back in. So, Which is surprising to me to a certain extent. Yeah, you you would almost assume like, nah, you want to get out of here? Well, you stay out of here and shit like that. But I, I mean, I get to the end of the day. Like, I'm wondering if killing that woman like snapped them back to reality. I don't know. Maybe to I, a certain extent. I would hope. And they don't like fucking martyr her. Although they don't won't need to in this new world because uh, this new world though, man, this sequence is so beautiful the combination of music the cinematography the endlessness of it and what you've been dragged through emotionally along with these people to get to this point which doesn't really last too long but you've sort of settled into okay this is life now yeah because they keep driving and you know obviously david is gonna try to go back to his wife she's been strung up on the house like spoiler alert for the book um the the novella it does end with them on the road they hole up him and his son in uh howard johnson and he has an idea that hartford is the place to go they don't know if it's actually safe but they're going to head out of there toward hartford and toward hope that is basically how it ends Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Howard Johnson's. Ah. Yeah. A lot of Stephen King stuff revolves around the I ninety five, I eighty, and hotels. 
being on the road as an author, doing appearances and signings and family vacations, I'm sure, fed well, that. What's outside the window, right? It's what we always say about our writing. Mm-hmm. Now, Hojo is probably the safest place in a tragedy, too. <laughs> um uh the sequence with the school bus is really they don't shy away they're like nah kids are dead too like kids are dead and it reminds me quite a bit of the opening sequences of maximum overdrive just with the yeah, carnage the, the car carnage, carnage. Yeah. yeah stephen king doesn't shy away from like he'll fucking kill a kid in front of you man like yeah. he's yeah yeah he's killed lots of kids oh, yeah. he's oh. got a damn menace <laughs> kill that dennis the menace while he's at it oh, um that guy not Dennis and Menace, it's Stephen King. What a guy. No one likes Dennis and Menace. Uh, especially as you get older, you're like, fuck that little kid. Yeah, I turned more and more to Wilson every day. I know. I was. <laughs> I felt like I was. I feel like I was born a Mr. Wilson. Um, when, like, what do you call this Leviathan thing? Like, what? It's just a heffalump. I don't know. It is just what it a is. colossal. Like, it's bigger than you could possibly... Like, the praying mantis was pretty big. And you would assume that whatever that tenant was attached to those tentacles was pretty big. It reminds me of those Strider things in Morrowind um, that yeah. he used for fast travel. <laughs> it's, it's just... I remember the first time I watched this film and I watched this sequence. And I'm, like, glued to the fucking screen because, like, obviously I've, you've been through this huge emotional journey. And yeah. you're, all your favorite characters are there with the exception of Ollie, like, because I really like that dude, too. But, um, and you are watching the sequence and you're getting the sense of this endlessness of it and you're getting the sense of the hopelessness of it and you kind of just feel like you see David's wife is dead and you see the school children, you see police cars flipped over and like, you know, your, your, you know, vigils of like societal control have been destroyed and you're looking at destroyed street signs and, and, but you don't really get a sense of this sort of like apocalyptic horror until you see this thing, which is the size of a skyscraper, just impossibly huge. And it's just taking a stroll. Like It's not like it is the mothership. There's probably a herd of them. There's all sorts of other creatures. So who knows if this is even the end and who we don't know. We can't put our finger on what is the biggest and smallest things here uh, like we can in planet Earth. What if there's bigger things than this? Yeah, because like these animals break all the laws of our known understanding of physiology and yeah. physics, and it's just every time I see this thing, it's bigger than I fucking remember it being. Yeah, right. Like it's crazy, and it's so big that it has like a flock of like maybe those pterodactyl things, but there's like a flock of like bird things that you imagine like fucking roost on this thing it's so huge yeah it's got a different atmosphere of where it is yeah yeah so um and and like the way it shakes the car when it walks is so crazy and the way they look at it is just yep what are you gonna do like even if you could say like well we just have to find like a military and like a tank will if if someone has like some machine guns that's what i like the most about all this is they don't whether we see it or not, they don't have these conversations. No. They're not like, well, we got to get gas. We got to this. What, what, what would we do with this? Like, oh my God, you know what we should do? Like, there's none of that. They're just silent, watching, staring through the mist. What do you say? And and even even the, the pivotal moment at the end of the scene is almost done completely wordlessly. Yeah. Um, especially the, the resolve to die. And we see this a couple of times in this film already. Uh, we see... Uh, soldiers hang themselves uh, from despair. We see a person in inscrutable pain. 
Uh, or so you person in, take in, an entire uh, yeah sleeping pill. pills. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, so we see people killing themselves as uh, as opposed to facing whatever it is that they're facing because they believe that this death of their own hand would be possibly less horrific than being eaten alive by an animal. And I can believe that. Yeah. Um, Especially these ones with their caustic spit and all that. Yeah, like these animals are not just like, I'm going to swallow you whole. They like to fuck with you a little bit, play with their food. Yeah. Um, or lay eggs in you. Like there's all kinds of gross ass. Yeah. So, that was really gross, especially when it, he, his body burst. Like, oh, yeah. He like, falls over and erupts into spiders. Like I can't imagine. <laughs> but um, when they, they basically just peter out of gas, then Dan, the old guy who, you know, there's something in the mist. That guy, he... <laughs> Uh, he says the most old man thing I've ever heard anyone say, and this line really sticks with me, where he says, well, no one can say we didn't give it a shot. Yeah. And and then uh, Irene, uh, a repler, the, the old teacher, just says, nope, no one can say that. And it just seemed like they may as well just been sitting out on a porch together. just Because, I mean, like he's old, but she is like... Ancient. Ancient. Yeah. She looks like in her 70s minimum. And he looks like he might be in his 60s or, or perhaps late 50s. I'm not sure. I think they're both like in their 70s. Easy. It's possible. Yeah, for easy, sure. But, but like, you know, they, they grow them tough in the country. Oh, for sure. But, um, you know, you, you have this classic dilemma. So classic that they still need to verbalize it, which is kind of a useless line to me. I would have liked a completely dialogueless sequence because I think have some faith in your because he's like thumbing through the bullets and he's like you know four bullets and he's like there's five of us i'm like no we know amanda (laughs) (laughs) we We know we know and so david you know and there's actually a sequence that i didn't remember in this scene where like because the whole time the son is just like asleep in the car right yeah and he doesn't really know that his mom is dead. He doesn't probably doesn't know like the true uh, situation that he's in. And just as he's waking up, like you can see from the look on this kid's eyes. And I give credit for this kid actor. He does a good job. Like I, I normally get twitchy around kid actors, but this one was pretty good. No, there's a couple good things about this kid actor we had to say while he, watching it. Yeah, and he's you. You don't see it, but he is looking down the barrel of that gun when he opens his eyes. And sort of with a, like, oh, well, this is how it's going to be, huh? Yeah. And yeah. looking at his dad. And then pop, 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 pop. And then you have him in the car freaking the fuck out. With the breakdown. The breakdown that is, you know, it's acted impeccably, yes. He does yeah. a very, very good job. There's a few mm-hmm. parts where you can't really reconcile with it. And as much as you would be like... You would do this or think this. You can't. You have to let it be like a lot of this movie. Let it tell its story. Let this man show his grief, however. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you've never been in this situation, have you? No, uh, no, (laughs) exactly. And, and this, I, and, and, you know, I like the resolve where he, like, he does it. And then once it's finally done, like, you can even see the sequence of the blasts are like Kid, Amanda, Irene, and then uh, uh, Dan. And and that and then he's like, then the scream comes yeah. of like because he's like okay I did the thing processing freaking out I can believe that and like he jumps out of the car yelling come and get me come, come and get on, me there's on. a lot of people that want this movie to end there or want it to end even before the gunshots go off or want it to end just after the gunshots go off and the yell and fade to black like something somewhere in there anywhere from the time they run out of gas <laughs> to 
not the end. They don't want that end. They don't want to see what comes out of the mist. And what comes out of the mist, like spoilers if you haven't seen the film, um, army trucks, tanks, people. The mist actually begins to clear. It clears, and then you see that you know there's a couple of critters around, and the military is just... A lot of the kids that might have been on that bus. Oh, and there's Carol. Yeah, not really kids. Carol, but like Walking yeah. Dead Carol. Yeah. She's she's there, and and then you're getting this weird idea of like, okay, she was spared, and so is he. But like, it really throws this idea of like, again, when I first saw this, the remedial reading that I gave it was this was a fucking movie about faith, and I didn't like it because like it was really coming down on me i was just like no i was like because i said I, like i even said it out loud i was like it makes no difference what any character said or did in this entire film because what this is demonstrated through the bug not killing the religious lady a person killed the religious lady and and this person going out with blind faith to rescue her children a selfless act as opposed to rescue herself she survived but then and so like my i shut down completely yeah, and because, i can understand entirely why you would have so i shut down because i was like this is about prayer this is about religion i don't like this this pisses me off and i didn't want anything to do with it but then you ask yourself well, now hang on a second here and then you start looking about other characters and and looking at it and, and really understanding and, and embracing the fact that we're really insignificant what we do or don't do does not fucking matter yeah and i definitely think now as i look at it i was like this is all about interpretation and the problem of interpretation yeah um because like if you were a survivalist a lone wolf type like you or something like that you you interpret this this way if you're a religious person you will see it absolutely this way i think i probably would have ended up without the line about god a lot like the the guy, the biker guy, <laughs> would have gone to yeah. try and help or save or do something helpful yeah. or useful and there's, fucking got there, bit. There was a part of me where Carol was initially was like, "Does anyone want to escort a, a lady home?" I would, I would, I was like, "I think I might have." <laughs> yeah, right. Because because yeah. like there's like a there's like a really old fashioned a woman is asking for help. Yeah. So like there there'd be a part of me like okay, and like I'm delusional enough where like I'm just like I can I can handle myself like I'm not a fucking. Hadn't entirely seen what was in the mist. Yeah, and I was like, maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe we can get through this together. And and I have a hard time when someone's asking for help. Like there's there's a part of me that always wants to. When all of this really started going on, became apparent what was out there and how these people were acting, and that there were, especially in a small town, being like, oh, I see the way that that group of people is looking at that group of people, and I see what those people are doing, and I hear what these people are saying about those people. I'm just gonna back away because I know I have an idea how this is gonna go. Yeah, yeah. It's like, and again, like you know, you could be a nihilist and just. Uh, which I think the film sits in this film and what it hits people in the pit of the sun like so hard is because the person that we identified with who technically made no mistakes throughout the film who was technically right about we need information, we need to plan, we need to get out of here, I don't trust people, let's take the people who are rational and let's go together. His biggest, um, his biggest sin, if you want to call it that, uh, was losing hope and and giving up and not waiting a couple of minutes that's what's so frustrating about it it is frustrating i get that although unfortunately the way that life is unfair and i was reminded that life was unfair all of my life in an almost zen way by my mother sometimes my father but mostly my mother just life is about struggling and you'll see a lot of people struggling and life is yes very very unfair Mm -hmm. sometimes it's not sure but Mm -hmm. by and large it's pretty damn unfair 
And yeah. you can't see a lot of folly in that, and you can't see a lot of fear in that. You have to just True. accept that. So yeah. I think that when it when it came down to it, even though it was very, very sad, because, yes, very frustrating. If you would have just waited a minute, not only would those nice old people still be saved, because who knows? They might have had a lot of years ahead of them. Yeah. And they might have got together, you know, yeah. playing Cupid. Boing. Boing. But his kid, yeah, super sad. Ultra sad. Very, very sad and and like also like dark. And and I think like when you uh you said it best, right? It's like it's again, it's trying to assign meaningless to a universe that is essentially chaos. Yeah. Um and and I and that's kind of where, you know, conspiracy theories and religion and politics all fall apart for me because it's like, eh, it's just a bunch of people that don't know any better than me trying their best to organize things and well, they, they gave it a good go, didn't they? No one can say they didn't. <laughs> but at the end of it, that's how it would fucking happen, because life is fucking unfair. And that's going to do it for them. <laughs> and on that note... And on that note, uh, what do we got next for them? Next, coming up next, we're going to have some fun with Silver Bullet, another Stephen King, a Palooza entry. Yeah, I'm excited. We're gonna cover a little bit of the monsters and stuff. We're sort of—it's a hodgepodge of Stephen King, a Palooza. Um, yeah, you said it best. It's like a music festival that changes its lineup every year. <laughs> it's great. That's exactly <laughs> it. Um, so yeah, no, I'm excited because I haven't watched Silver Bullet in, a, in quite some time, and I haven't read that book, even though I did pick up a copy of it a couple years ago, mm. uh, visiting in PA. Now, I'm going to have to reread that in the next week or so. Yeah. Definitely. Maybe I'll do that on Typical Books just for fun. Hell yeah. yeah. You guys are going to want to check out that, and we will see you next time. I've never said that before. I'm Wes Knight. <laughs> and I'm Typical Lydia. <laughs> and you've been listening to Dead Air.